بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فعن أبي مالك الحارث بن عاصم الأشعري رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الطهور شطر الإيمان والحمد لله تملأ الميزان وسبحان الله والحمد لله تملأني أو تملأ ما بين السماء والأرض والصلاة نور والصدقة برهان والصبر ضياء والقرآن حجة لك أو عليك كل الناس يغدو فبائع نفسه فمعتقها أو موبقها كل الناس يغدو فبائع نفسه فمعتقها أو موبقها رواه مسلم Respected brothers and sisters, alhamdulillah, we're continuing with these 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah. And these 40 hadith, as we previously mentioned, they are those ahadith that each one of them discusses a fundamental principle of the deen. So every single hadith in this book, it is a major principle of the religion. That any single one, if you were to take it separately, it would be a rule, a maxim to live by, a word of wisdom, something that would, you, could live, you could live by. You know, this is my motto. This is what I live by. So every single hadith that Imam al-Nawawi has collected in this compilation, which is the Arba'een of Imam al-Nawawi, the 40 hadith of Imam al this is basically, right, fundamentals, and the general principles of the deen, general principles of the sharia. And I, with that being said, I want to give somebody, uh, if you don't remember anything from tonight, just remember this. How can a person bring a change and transform their life? How can a person bring wisdom in their life? Transform. One word of wisdom every day. Practice this. All you need to do is learn a new word of wisdom every single day. This is one of the advice of the philosophers. One of the philosophers, he said, I think Seneca, S-E-N-E-C-A. It was from the Stoics. Seneca, he says, that every day learn one concept, one word of wisdom. And there's beautiful, we have the, we have the treasury the gold mine of wisdom, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alladhi utiya jawami al-kalim wa manabi al-hikam. He was given the comprehensiveness of speech that one of his hadith volumes have been written about one word of the Prophet, one sentence of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One hadith. There is a book. Everybody has to make ziyara of this book. You know how we make ziyara of Haramain al-Sharifain? We make ziyara of Jerusalem. We make ziyara of Aqsa. You have to make ziyara. You have to visit this book. It's a 12-volume book. I have this in my library. One of, the, one of my most favorite books. Not because of who wrote it, even though the person who wrote it. The person who wrote it, Imam al-Bayhaqi, his whole life he fasted. His whole life he fasted. And we, he could have missed him, but we're talking about like majority of his year, majority of his life was in fasting. Now somebody might hear that, well, you know, you're not even supposed to do that. Why are you not supposed to do that? If you want to do that, you can do that. 
People jump off, people bungee jump, people do stupid things, people were, you know. My son was showing me a video, he said, look dad, these people, they go in a propeller, you know, air, airplane, and then they, 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 what do they call, uh, plane fly or plane walk, or like wing walk, and they, while the plane is in the air, they climb to the top of it, and then they stand and, and, and they thing themselves, and they go like this while the plane is in the air. With the plane propeller. People do that. It's in their, on their bucket list. I said, so they were people who fasted their entire life. Why do you have a problem with that? Why I'm saying that is because somebody actually even objected to that. And this hadith that we learned here, brothers and sisters, you don't need to object against everything. Especially somebody who's a scholar or somebody who's qualified and he's teaching you. Ask a question. You don't need to object and have an argument about everything. Everything is not an argument. When I hear something new from a scholar, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Because you trust him. But now people, they don't trust scholars. They trust their own aql in their own brain. Everything a scholar says is an objection. I was most shocked when I went to Afghanistan. I'm sorry, I'm going off the topic today. When I went to Afghanistan, it was interesting. Because I'm so used to arguing with people in America. Everything is like, I'll say this thing about Imam Behaqi because I remember five years ago I said the same thing. I had a long argument with somebody. They said, What's, why do you say fasting his whole life? Why did he fast his whole life? Yani he's shocked about this matter. He knows that he can never do it. And instead of having an admiration for somebody who did such a thing, he objects against that person. Because Shariat hasn't said anything about it and Shariat hasn't said anything against it. If Shariat hasn't made it binding on you to fast forever it hasn't prohibited you from fasting forever do you understand my point where it pr prohibited you if you have the capacity Sayyidina Aisha did that do you know there's actually a category of Sahaba and a category of Tabi'een who did Sardus Saum it's called Sardus Saum Sardus Saum means that they were continuously fasting except days that they were on a journey or days that they were sick you, they, those days are excluded but you know and they're normal their normal routine was fasting. Do you get my point? And there would be days. Like, it's not like they never missed a day. No, they did. But the point is, is like their normal routine was fasting. That was Sayyidina Aisha. That was Sayyidina Umar. They fasted every day. And that is why it was such a common thing. Abdullah ibn Masood actually said, you know, I see my friends and companions amongst me. They fast every day. But unfortunately, I cannot do that. Why is Abdullah ibn Masood saying that? Because there were people amongst the Sahaba that would do that. They fasted every day of their life. Even the Prophet at times, they said the Prophet would fast so much that we thought that he would never eat again. And he would eat and break his fast until we thought he would never fast again. They said some, the, the month of Shaban, the entire month he fasted. Illa few, maybe one or two days. So that it wouldn't be like Ramadan. So one, two days he wouldn't fast, so it wouldn't become like Ramadan. Because the Prophet was different. If he would do something, it would become binding upon the Ummah. That's why he didn't do it. So my point is, Imam Bayhaqi, the, 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 the amazing thing about the book is not the scholar who wrote it, even though he is amazing. My dear brothers and sisters, we should know the great people of this Ummah, of this civilization. Somebody asked me this question. I don't know if the brother is here. Brother Peter, is he here? He wanted to learn about Islam. He said, how can I know that the Prophet Muhammad, what he was saying is the truth? 
I said, very easy. Look at the civilization that came after him. Look at who, what it produced. Look at that in, a, in, a, in, in less than a century after that prophet, first and foremost in, the, in his lifetime, in the lifetime of that beloved prophet, all of Arabia became Muslim. Show me in the lifetime of any prophet that all of their people become, became Muslim. You won't find any, any example. The Prophet ﷺ is the, the success story of all the Anbiya ﷺ. To such an extent, the Prophet ﷺ even said that there will be prophets on the Day of Judgment with 10 followers. There will be prophets on the Day of Judgment with 5 followers. There will be prophets on the Day of Judgment with 1 follower. And there will be prophets on the Day of Judgment that will come in front of Allah and they had no followers. Everybody rejected them. The Prophet said, when my ummah comes, he said, you will see that it will fill the entire horizon. When Sayyidina Musa saw our beloved Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam in Mi'raj, he cried. He cried when he saw Sayyidina Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. That Nabi who was a young he died and there was not 17 hairs in his Mubarak beard. I probably have more white hairs than the, the, the Prophet ﷺ had when he passed away at 63. The Sahaba counted the white hairs between his, he had them here. He had 17. When Musa ﷺ saw him in Mi'raj, he cried and he couldn't stop crying. He said, oh Musa, why are you crying? He said, because a young man. He said, because a young man Musa lived twice the age of Prophet Muhammad Musa lived 120 years. The Prophet lived 63 years. He says, because a young man who has not even reached shaykhukhat, to be, you know, shaykh, yani, old man, the young man who has not even reached the, 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 the age of shaykhukhat, his ummah has surpassed my ummah. And I've lived twice as much as him, and I worked harder than him according to his and they say these were tears of joy this is called ghibta this is tears of joy this is when Musa salam said oh Allah make me from the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad can you believe that the Anbiya wished to be from the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad and then what did Allah Ta'ala say to Musa oh Musa take what I have given you and be grateful don't ask for more than this I have already made you kaleem. This is something, but there, there will be one prophet who will be given this. That is Isa alayhi salam. Isa alayhi salam will be part of this ummah. Sayyidina Isa is part of this ummah. So there will be people say, well, they're going to be a prophet that's going to come after Muhammad sallallahu No, he's not a prophet after Muhammad. Because he's not coming as a prophet. He's coming as an ummati. And he will be following the sharia of Sayyidina Muhammad. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is amazing. My point is, one word of wisdom every day. Remember what I was saying? One word of wisdom every day will make you wise. Will change your life. Do it. Practice this. Have a book of hadith. You can start with the Arba'in of Imam al-Nawawi. Or any book. Where you learn maxims. These are, these are words to live by. That was my point. Is the Arba'in of Imam al-Nawawi. These are words to live by. And my point is, the words of the Prophet are so wise 
Remember I was talking about Imam Bayhaqi, then I jumped to another thing, I jumped to another one. I'm jumping on different branches today, like a monkey. So Imam Bayhaqi, rahimahullah, said that he wrote this book, it's called Shu'abul Iman. Shu'abul Iman in 12 volumes is the commentary of one sentence of the Prophet. Shu'abul Iman, you should make ziyarah of this book. Somebody remind me that next week I'm going to bring Shu'abul Iman so everybody can make ziyarah. You know like you make ziyarah of Haramain? You have to make ziyarah of this book that was written by a man who fasted his entire life. He was called Shafi'i Thani. Imam Bayhaqi was the muhaddith of the Shafi'i Madhab. He wrote this book in, 20, in 12 volumes, I'm sorry, 12 volumes that was a commentary on one hadith of the Prophet. So my point is, the words of wisdom of the Prophet, show me. Brother Peter was here, he would hear this, that show me from any Prophet, I challenge you, give me any Prophet, that one of his hadith, one of his words, somebody wrote 12 volume commentary, 12 volume commentary. Do you know what 12 volumes is? Each volume is three, three to four hundred pages. This is the, this is the, these are the followers of that Muhammad. And forget about the astronomers of this ummah, who are also from that prophet. Forget about the scientists of this ummah, who are also from that prophet. Forget about the doctors and the medical practitioners of the ummah, the inventors of the ummah, the sailors of the ummah. Right? The, 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 the rulers of this ummah, the architects of this ummah, who made such architecture in the world that they still go and they call those architectural you know, uh, things wonders of the world. Who did that? The followers of no other prophet. And all of these achievements, this is the mu'jiza of our prophet. All of those things that you see in the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad, in Islamic civilization, everything you see is the mu'jiza of Sayyidina Muhammad. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It is from his fountainhead. It is from his nur. It is from his barakah. It is from his blessings of his ummah. Ummati kal matar, he said. My ummah is like rain. La yudra awwaluha khair am akhiruha. You don't know the, the, the first amongst them are better or the ones who will come near the end. Yani, my ummah is like rain. You know, sometimes the rain gets really, really fast and then it comes down a little bit and it gets, you know, snow vortex, like what's happening in New York right now? What's going on? Snow bomb? Is, they call it something. Like, there's a snow bomb or snow vortex going on in the East Coast right now. Yani, that's how rain is. It comes and goes. And you see throughout the centuries, you think Islam is going down and all of a sudden it goes up. You know, the Mongols completely destroyed Islam, quote unquote. They said for three days, the, 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 the river Euphrates, it flo flowed with blood. After how many people were slaughtered by the Mongols? For three days, then it, was, it was flowed with ink because they threw all the libraries and it flowed with black, with ink. We, they thought Islam was over, it's done. And what happened? <laughs> One of the Mongol grandkids accepted Islam, Taymur Elang, and you know, these, this Taymur, and, and you, now you go to Samarkand, and they, those masajid are wonders of the world. Who? Those who were the killers. Their grandparents were the killers of Islam.
Where you find this civilization? Somebody asked me, how do you know Muhammad is true? I said, look at what he left behind. You want to talk about the architects of this ummah? Where did this come from? This all came from the Quran. They read in the Quran and, the, and Allah takes an oath by the heavens and the constellations. So, oh, the constellations. Is that something Allah swore by? We got to find out about these constellations. I can't see it. Okay, we have to find a way that we got to see this. Okay, so they made instruments. They put their aql to understand buruj. So they became the greatest astronomers. Allah Ta'ala said that the, from the womb of the mother, there is the, this is the stages of the embryo in the womb of the mother. They thought about that. So they became master medical practitioners. They, they mastered until Al-Qanun, even till the 18th century in, 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 in Cambridge and in Oxford, Al-Qanun of Ibn Sina was being taught. Till the 18th century of Ibn Sina, al the, the canon. It was called the canon in medicine. Who, all these people, Ibn Sina and Ibn Rushd, and all these people who were uh, doctors or scientists or astronomers, what are they? They're the, they're the legacy of the civilization of Islam. For me, when I look at Islam from an outside perspective, not as a Muslim, I look at it as, a, as an outsider, and I look... I don't see such a civilization on the face of this earth. That on every single, in every, it, the beauty of the Prophet, the Kamal and the perfection of the Prophet manifests itself in every single aspect, in, every, in the whole civilization. Anyways, one word of wisdom every day. Learn one word of wisdom every day. Slowly, slowly you will be growing. Learn that. Memorize it. Put it into practice in your life. So in this word of wisdom, this hadith of the Prophet is hadith number 23. Hadith number 23 from the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi. If I were to give a theme, each hadith in this book has a theme. And this is very important. When you, anybody who reads Quran or reads hadith, try to look at it in, 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 in respect to themes. Make a theme out of it. That this is what this hadith, for example, is discussing. So what's the theme of this? The theme of this is defining terms. We were discussing that there's one way that we define something. For example, when I say, what are your parents? So you would define it as, uh, my parents are the people who, through them, I came into this world, and they brought me up. And they raised me, and I am indebted to them for life. And this is what generally what parents are. That's the definition of parents. Parents are the biological, generally the biological means of a person's existing in this world. True or false? Does everybody generally agree with that? The Prophet defined it in another term. He didn't say your parents are those who biologically they gave birth to you and they raised you and then you became who you became. He says, Huma jannatak. They are your paradise. Actually, he said, Huma jannatuka They are your paradise or your hell. You understand? That's the prophetic definition. My point is in this hadith, we, we, the Prophet is going to mention to us a couple of things and he's going to define it. If I ask you, what is sadaqah? 
Tell me, what is sadaqah? Jalal, tell me, what is sadaqah? Charity. Very good, very good answer, and that's correct. Sadaqah is charity. The Prophet didn't define it as that. You know that. I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to give you the prophetic definition of sadaqah. And we're going to go there. I'm not going to define it right now for you. But I'll tell you some of the things which the Prophet defined that is not in this hadith. Right? Somebody says, who's your wife? Your wife is, my wife is my life partner. Or my wife is my spouse. But for example, looking at wife, that wife is the mother of your children. And it kind of changes everything. Isn't it? You said, the mother of my children. Now, if your children are very important to you, then the mother of the children will be even more important because now it completely changes the whole way of interacting and you know, treating one another. This is the, the mother of my kids. And we say in Farsi, Namus, my honor. She is my honor. It's a completely different whole thing. Do you see what I'm saying? It completely changes the whole. The Prophet said, What is your khala? He didn't say, Your khala, your maternal aunt. Your khala is the sister of your mother. What did he say? He said, Al khala tu bi manzilatil um. You see? I'm talking about prophetic definition. And this is why hadith is so important. Wallahi, don't get me started. Shurukunum, burum, namekunum. I'm gonna go, I, you know, I'm gonna take the exit. I go take the exit and I get lost, then I can't get back on the freeway. People who reject hadith, chibuguyura. Chibalazadaura. How do you understand anything? And why? I'll tell you why they want to get rid of hadith. Because it will allow you to define these things according to your own desire. Did I tell you what is hadith? I said, in the hadith, the Prophet has given us definitions. He has defined things. He defined what is mother. He defined what is wife. He defined what is charity. He defined what is salah. You know, you hear people, I pray salah in my heart. I wear hijab in my heart. What is, the, what is that? No, it's, it's not funny. There is some, there's a reason why they say that, because they don't believe in hadith. Because if they believed in hadith, then that salat has been defined in hadith by the Prophet. You get my saying? You can't pray in your heart. There's no prayer in the heart. A salat is af'alun makhsusa wa aqwalun makhsusa taftatihu bit-takbir wa taftatimu bit-taslim. This is the prophetic def definition. There are specific actions and specific words that begin with takbir and they end with taslim. And they have conditions and they have prerequisites. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the, this is the definition. So we have to understand language and definitions. How something is defined is of essence. The fuqaha mentioned, Al-hukmu ala shay far'un an tasawurihi. That giving a ruling about something is dependent, is a branch of how you have understood it. So when I have defined this, so people say, for example, tasawwuf, right? I say the word tasawwuf. You guys heard of tasawwuf? Sufism. 
So now, I have in, uh, the, the concept of Sufism or tasawwuf in my mind, people breakdancing or people jumping up and down or people, you know, uh, doing, you know, uh, jumps through fire hula hoops, cutting themselves with swords. Obviously, when that is your tasawwur, what is your hukum? Bid'ah, batil. But now if I tell you tasawwuf means purification of the heart, does your view of it, of it change now too? Because your definition has changed. Because your definition has changed, your view has changed. If I say tasawwuf is tazkiyatul qalbi wa nafs, zahiran wa batinan, the purification of the heart externally and internally. If you deny that, you're, you're a kufr, basically. You're, you're kafir. Because qad aflaha man zakkaha. Allah says, successful is the one who has purified himself. My point is, these definitions and prophetic definitions is in the hadith. One of the, I had shared this with you, Mawajan, when we were, um, it was a council in, of uh, Jewish rabbis in Tel Aviv and saying, why cannot we change Islam? I don't know if you remember this. One of the rabbis said, is said, we have similar, we have the Talmud and we have the Torah. The Talmud is the laws of Moses. He says, as long as a person holds on to the Talmud, you can't change. The, the Talmud, it's the mosaic hadith. Kind of like what the, what the people who came after, they defined the terms. So now whatever comes in the Torah, it's not up for uh, uh, interpretation. It's set in stone. Do you get my point? He said, the, the Muslims have something like that. It's called hadith. Also called sunnah. So whatever we see that we can't change, this is a rabbi speaking, I was shocked and blown away. And I'm like, the stupid Muslims, and this is exactly what they are, I apologize. If anybody gets offended by that, there's a word that should be used worse than stupid, but I won't use it. Those people who are Muslim and they're foolish and say, we don't believe in hadith, this rabbi has understood Islam better than them. The rabbi. Yes. The rabbi has understood Islam better than them. Because he says, in the, for the Torah, we have Talmud. The Talmud preserves the concepts of the Torah. It's the Mosaic law that has been preserved in the teachings of Moses and those who came after. Otherwise, the, the Torah then can be interpreted by anybody any way they like. We have now hadith. Hadith defines for you zakat. How do you know what is zakat? The hadith has defined it. It's like, you know you have a book, and then you have a dictionary. The dictionary defines the terminology of that book. The dictionary of the Quran is the sunnah. You guys, this is, this is essential. So all these ignorant people that are leading thousands of people astray. Those people already are astray, bechara. They will be already gumrastanua. Wahu, wahu ya grami polan. Mochi begim na farsi mega ke tabarish destame pola. Wahu be tabaras destame pola. His axe is looking for a handle. He's already an axe. He just needs a handle. These people come. They already don't believe. They already weaken their faith. They already don't pray. They already don't wear hijab. But these people come and they justify it. And they say, who said that in Islam you, 
you don't have to drink. You can drink in Islam. You can drink alcohol in Islam. Who said you can't? Who said you have to wear hijab? You don't have to wear hijab in Islam. Where does it say that? And then, and so on and so forth. But when you have these matters that are defined clearly in hadith, you can't jump. You can't interpret fake interpretations. You can't make stuff up. Because, why you can't make stuff up? Because it's already preserved. This is what my Jummas are about. Every single Friday we've been talking about this. Sometimes I go, I, 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 I get so um, venting, I, I vent so much, I don't even get to the topic at hand. And then, as this is the I'll get to it though. And then you have to remind me, but you know, stick to the topic. Now I have to get st stick to the topic, okay? This hadith, the theme of it is definitions. Do you guys understand why definitions are important? Yeah, understand? Is everybody alive? That's why I try to speak a little bit loud so nobody falls asleep. For some people, it's past their bedtime. I try to speak a little bit louder so some people don't fall asleep. Khidr, if your eyes are floating, you're going to go make cold wudu right now. I don't want to see the eyes floating. If you're, the, 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 the cure to floating eyes, when they start going like this, is cold wudu. So we'll get to the point. This hadith, the theme of it is definitions. The Prophet ﷺ mentions, as narrated by Abu Malik al-Harith ibn Asim al-Ashari, At-tahuru shatru al-iman. Purification is half of faith. If I were to ask you, what is purification? You would tell me, I would say, uh, purification means like taking a shower, uh, making a stinja, uh, making wudu, yeah, that's, that's purification. No. The Prophet said, yes, that's the, that's the general understanding of purification. There is something else I want you to know about it. You see, the prophetic definitions, it puts it in perspective from a different light. Purification is not using water or taking a shower or taking a wudu. Purification is half of faith. And it's interesting discussion here. What does half of faith mean? So one category of scholars, they say that here, At-Tahuru Shatrul Iman, Iman refers to Salah. And where did we get that from? Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayat number 143. When the Qibla was changed, when the Qibla was changed from Jerusalem, to Makkah al-Mukarramah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Turn your face now, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa towards Masjid al-Haram, towards the Qibla of Sayyidina Ibrahim. So when the Muslims did that, but they said, Ya Rasulullah, what about the 18 months that we face Jerusalem? In the, that 18 months, will our salat be wasted? Do you guys understand the, the question? So because they prayed 18 months towards the direction of Jerusalem, and then so they're thinking the mas'ala, so what was that 18 months that we prayed then? It was invalid? So Allah Ta'ala then says, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِيعَ إِيمَانَكُمْ And all of the Mufassirin say here in ayat number 143 of Surah Baqarah, and it, it is not for Allah to waste your iman. The Mufassirin say, iman here refers to salah. Yani Allah will never waste 
the prayers that you did. Because that prayer that you were doing was because of your iman. The Prophet told you, this is the Qibla, you believed in it and you prayed that direction. Then Allah told you, this is the Qibla, you believed in it and you prayed in that direction. So your prayer was actually your iman. Do you guys understand this point? Your prayer was your iman. Because why were you praying in that direction? Because your iman demanded it. The Prophet said so. And that is why when this ayah was revealed, many people who were Muslim left Islam. And many of them were Jews. Who, who they actually accepted Islam because they loved the fact that Muhammad ﷺ corresponded with their direction of the Qibla. And it was the command of Allah. And it was binding upon Muslims to believe that with Iman. So right now when we talk about facing towards the direction of Qibla, what do you think that is? That's a part of your faith. Anybody who believes that the Kaaba and the Qibla is not Qibla, he's not a Muslim. True or false? Is it true or false? So we understand that facing the Qibla is Iman. Facing towards the Qibla is, it's Iman. Because a person who doesn't believe in the Qibla, he's not a believer. So Allah Ta'ala uses the word Iman, but he actually means Salat. Why this is so important is because when the Jews accepted, some of a group of them accepted Islam, they said, this is very good. We don't have to change at all. We were facing towards Jerusalem then. Now we're facing towards Jerusalem now. Yeah, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Sure, I accept Islam. Then the Sayyidina Muhammad always had a desire that our Qibla should be like the Qibla of our father. We see you, O Muhammad Sassam, you're constantly looking at the heavens that when is the wahi going to come about the Qibla to change? This is a very beautiful ayah and it's a very, very beautiful discussion in Surah Baqarah, ayat number 140. We see you, O Muhammad, eagerly looking to the heavens that when is an ayah going to be revealed that we face Makkah? Subhanallah. Look at how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved His Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Muhammad, we will give you a qibla that will be according to your pleasure. Mo'u qiblara baradmitin kadad basha. Barizayatatu basha. We want it that it should be according to your desire, O Muhammad sallallahu Imagine how much Allah Ta'ala loved Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu and we told you for and that 17 months was a test some people ask why is there abrogation in Islam Christians a lot of them they question this why is there abrogation this is one of the reasons why at first one hukum is given and later another hukum is given to test the faith of the people who are accepting Islam those people who accepted it at that moment Allah then changed it I want to see what you're going to do. We'll change the Qibla that you like to a Qibla that you don't like. Because you're jealous. You like Bani Ishaq, you like Bani Israel, but you don't like Bani Ibrahim. They were Bani, they were Bani Israel. Do you guys know who is? Never curse Israel. My dear brothers and sisters, a very important point. Never say, Lanat ala Israel. Some dumb Muslims do that. A lot of dumb people out there, they just do dumb things. Never curse Israel. You know what Israel is? It's the name of Yaqub alayhi salam. Israel is Yaqub. Il is one of the names of God. Jibrail. 
Israfil, Israel, Il, Il is Allah, Ilahi, is Ilahi, Il, Jibrail. So Jibrail is like, uh, like Abdullah, Ahmadullah, you know, Amatullah. So the names of the, the, the angels is with Il. Il is God. And this is Israel. It's like something of God. So Israel literally means the one who was, the one who was toppled by God. Sara'ah. The one who was wrestled by God. Right? So the, the whole story behind that, I don't remember it, but this is the... So there was the jealousy... They said, we want the Qibla of Israel. We don't want the Qibla of Ibrahim. So there was that kind of nafs. So then when Allah Ta'ala said, okay, now I'm going to see, are you going to accept Islam because of your true faith in, in God? Or are you going to, did you accept Islam because it was according to your whims, according to your own desires? So many of them became murtad when this ayat was revealed. And that is why the qibla was called iman. That's why salat was called iman. And that's why it was answered to the sahaba when they said, will Allah waste our 17 months of worship? Allah said, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِيعَ إِيمَانَكُمْ And Allah Ta'ala will not waste your iman because their praying in that direction was a manifestation of their iman. Because when the, the change came, they left Iman. So this hadith, when it says, At-Tahoor Shatrul Iman, it means purification is half of Salat. One half is the actions that you do, and the other half is the purification. Without that half, you will not be able to achieve the other half. That's one definition. The other definition that the ulama give is that the definition of the mashayikh of tasawwuf is that Without tazkiyatun nafs, tahur is tathir, tahara, taharatul qalb. If a person says, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, and his heart has nifaq, and his heart has not been purified, that iman is not acceptable. That La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah is not acceptable, even though he says it with his tongue, but his heart is filled with kufr. There are people in the time of the Prophet who did that. They were called munafiqeen, the hypocrites. They said, they said iman with their mouth, but they didn't have taharat in their hearts. That's why at-tahuru shatrul iman, in this way. Purification is half of faith, meaning true ikhlas, true, true purity of the heart. Otherwise, nothing you do in the faith and no practice of Islam or iman will be valid without this half. Purification and tazkiyah. This is one definition. The second one, وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ تَمْلَأُ الْمِيزَانِ وَسُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ تَمْلَآنِ أَوْ تَمْلَأُ مَا بَيْنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ Then he said, defining Alhamdulillah and Subhanallah. If I ask you, what is the meaning of Subhanallah Alhamdulillah, you say, glory be to Allah. Subhanallah means, Allahu munazzahun anin naqaisi kulliha. Subhanallah means, Allah is pure, and Allah is sublime and transcendent from all blemishes, from all faults, from all weaknesses. Maulana Rumi said, 
we say in Urdu and in Farsi, Allah ka paaki bayan karna. Tasbih ka mana kya hai? Tasbih ka mana ye hai ki Allah ke paaki bayan karna. Paaki zagiyo munazzah budan khudara bayan kardan. Now, Maulana Rumi, he brings a, this is why the Masnawi, Hafizab, how come you haven't learned Farsi yet? What's going on with you? You should be a professor of Farsi already. This is why learning these books of these mashayikh is so important. They have exp explicated the sharia in a completely different way. This is a question. What's the point of saying, Oh Allah, you're pure. Allah, you're pure. Oh Allah, you're pure. What's the point? He is pure. Nothing's going to happen by you saying it. Is Allah going to become more pure by you saying it? Allah ke paaki bayan karne mein kya fayda hai? Allah to paak hai. Aap ke bayan karne se kya fayda? Do you understand what I'm saying? In the Masnawi, it answers this question. This is a very, very good question. What's the point that you keep saying, Usabbihu subhanallah. I, I proclaim the purity of Allah. Imagine there's the king, and the king is the king of the whole country, and a, and a homeless person comes and say, Oh king, you are the king. A beggar and a homeless, he goes in front of the king and he says, Oh king, you are the king. He says, Thank you, beggar, I didn't really need that. Everybody knows I am. When we say tasbih, look, this is Malala Rumi in the Masnawi. He's mentioning the ishkal and he's answering the ishkal. Where will you find this? Some people say, We don't need the Masnawi. Tell me from Bukhari. Okay, I'm asking you. Where is the, answer me this in, in, in the hadith it says wa subhanallah wa alhamdulillah okay I'm making subhanallah subhanallah does that increase Allah in his purity why do we say it Maulana Rumi gives a, 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 such a simple answer that even a child can understand it he said paki bayan kardana zu ura pak na mekuna tura pak mekuna Allahu Akbar he says by you proclaiming Allah's purity Allah is not becoming pure. You are becoming pure. You are becoming purified of your sins every time you proclaim that. Because it's a realization for you, not for Him. He has allowed you to proclaim His purity. He has allowed you to mention His name so that you become purified. So that you realize. Because when you realize the purity of God, you realize the weakness of yourself. When you realize that Allah is qawi, you realize that I am da'if. When you realize that Allah is ghani, you realize that I am faqir. When you realize that Allah is qadir, you realize that I am faqir. Subhanallah. And every subhanallah you say, he is not becoming pure. He purifies you. Allahu Akbar. How great is this? How powerful is this? This is Mawar Rumi. And I forgot, I forgot the, the bait. The bait was bikhidika mazameta. I'm hanging out with all these guys that don't know Farsi, so I'm also starting to forget Farsi with Khidr and, and, and all these other guys. Khidr, I'm hanging out with you and I also forget the, the poems. Even the poems that I know that I'm starting to forget. We have to have Mastawi Dars. So the Tasbih, Ma'arumi Ramtlai, the beautiful shit. Bakhudai, just one bait. The Yag bait gufta. Tasbih gufta na mochi faida, the bait edigeshi na mina mega. Meka, upak na misha, tupak mishi. It's so beautiful. The way he says it is so powerful. And this is the beauty of subhanallah. 
that the Prophet said, what happens when you say subhanallah? This subhanallah and alhamdulillah, when it manifests itself in reward on the day of judgment, it, when it's placed on the scale of deeds, it will fill the scale from the earth all the way to the heavens. This is, so the Prophet mentioned the reward of subhanallah and alhamdulillah. You understand? He defined it. That one subhanallah that you utter is so powerful that it fills the heavens and the earth. What type of definition is this? This definition is like this. I say, do you know what this is? Do you know what this is? You say a cup of water. I say, no, this is life. Do you, do you understand? This is the definitions of the Prophet. He's defining it from a... Because if, if we don't have this, you die. The Prophet is defining something to take your perspective from the mundane, normal way you are looking at things to something from a different realm, from a different perspective. That this subhanAllah that we say, after salat, people doing like this, what's... You don't even know what you're saying. You're just mumbling. So the Prophet said, these words that, are, these, that seem so insignificant, they are, will be so great on that day that they will fill the earth till the heavens. When you put it on the scale of deeds, you're one. And imagine you're saying it 33 times, 33 times, 33 times after every prayer. When you put that on the scales, it will fill the scale from the earth to the heavens. The size of the planet, this subhanAllah will be. The nur of that, the light of that, the power of that, the reward of that will be that much. He's defined it in a different term. The next one the Prophet defines, this is his dictionary, this is his definition. salatu nur. This is so beautiful. What's salat? Uh, salat is prayer. No, salat is not prayer. Salat is light. The ulama have explained this salat being light in a different manner. What is the meaning of salat being light? One is going back to the ayah of the Quran. يَوْمَ تَرَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ يَسْعَى نُورُهُمْ بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَبِأَيْمَانِهِمْ That on the day of judgment, you will see the believers that their nur their nur will be in front of them and on their right sides. They say that on the day of judgment, there will be no light. The only light will be the light of Allah Azza wa Jal and it will be the light of your good deeds. So in the Quran it says, يَوْمَ تَرَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ You will see the believing men and women. يَسْعَى نُورُهُمْ بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَبِأَيْمَانِهِمْ Their light will be guiding them from in front of them and from their right sides. That is the salat. Their nur will be their salat. Some people in another narration it says that in the grave, in the darkness of the grave, the light, the, 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 a light will come. He said, what are you? He says, I am your salat. So when it talks about the salat being a nur, it is talking about the light that will be given to a person in all of the situations of darkness that will come in the next world. As is mentioned, Abu Darda radiallahu anhu said, Sallu raka'ataini fi dhulamil layli li dhulamil qabri. Perform salat 
for perform two rakat salat in the darkness of the night for the darkness of the grave. Perform two rakat salat in the darkness of the night for the darkness of the grave. Why? Because your two rakat salat is nur. It's light. And also, another meaning. أَوْ مُنَوِّرَةٌ قَلْبَ مُلَازِمِهَا لِأَنَّهَا تُشْرِقُ فِيهِ أَنْوَارَ الْمَعَارِفِ The salat, it is the enlightener of the one who prays. لِأَنَّهَا تُشْرِقُ فِيهِ أَنْوَارَ الْمَعَارِفِ Because from that salat, the light of Allah's recognition will start flowing. In one ayah of the Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala says, سِيمَاهُمْ فِي وُجُوهِهِمْ مِنْ أَثَرِ السُّجُودِ That, in the, that uh, on their faces will be the signs from the effects of prostration. It is said that when a person is prostrating in salah, the nur of that will manifest on a person's face. You know the Hindus, they have chakra. Do you know about the chakras? The Hindus believe in chakras. There are points of light and spirituality that radiate at different points in the body. And they say the chakra, the, there's a point of divine realization. And that is right between the eyebrows. There is a spiritual center that when that is activated through meditation and it comes, divine realities start manifesting to a person. So I was speaking with a person interested in Hindu. So I said, yeah, we do that five times a day. We activate our nur. We activate the chakra. Five daily prayers. When we prostrate, it becomes activated like none other. That is why the intelligence of a believer, the spirituality of a believer, every day he is going upon and activating this chakra. I mean, I don't deny it. There's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned the forelock and mentioned the forehead and that this place is the most honorable of a believer and it should not be hit. Because when you place that on the ground, that nur, that light, that spirituality is activated. And that, that, that enlightens the entire soul, the, enti the entire being of that person from here. And Allah says it in the Quran, سِيمَاهُمْ فِي وُجُوهِهِمْ مِنْ أَثَرِ السُّجُودِ On their faces will be the sign of prostration, will be the light of worship. And you can see a believer from a mile away. And even a kafir can notice it. Even disbelievers notice the light of a believer. You can see from their face that this person has a light. Subhanallah. Everybody, everybody who prays salat, I, I, I mean, may Allah forgive me, I'm not saying I'm somebody. I can see from a person, this person doesn't pray salat. I can tell from a person, this person does not have, there's like this darkness on a person's face. It's not a darkness of skin tone. You have African dark-skinned people that are the most beautiful, munawwar, shining human beings that you've ever seen in your life. Shining. Black skin. But he's shining, radiant. Radiant from salat. Radiant of nur. It's not a skin tone. It's an it's, it's, it's a, it's a effulgence. It's a spiritual light and glow. So this salat is, is, is a light for an individual. Another way that it's been discussed is very interesting. Allah Ta'ala says, Verily, prayer holds a person back 
from evil and transgression. When a person has salat, this salat creates a power and a spiritual ability inside of a person to stay away from sin. So when a person, he has this nur in his heart, he has the ability to desist and guard himself from temptation. <laughs> and this is a light. Yani an energy. So was salatu nur, was sadaqatu burhan. Remember he said charity? It's was sadaqatu burhan. He didn't say sadaqa is charity, even though that's right. That's the correct definition. But the Prophet, like I said, wanted us to look at it from a different perspective. Charity is a proof. How is charity a proof? A proof of what? Let me give an example. You earn your money, hard-earned money. You work hard. Some brothers, man, they work nine to five. Some people work nine to nine. Some people work 13, 14 hours a day. Some people work two shifts. They work in the day and they work in the night. And they earn hard-earned money. And then what happens? There's a fundraiser. Mulvi Saab is always talking about fundraisers. Always got to hold the salat hostage. Brother Mahmoud, we're not going to do it in Ramadan. Where's, where's Aji Bashir? Where is he when we need him? See, the people that need to hear it, they're not there. Okay, you're going to... Huh? His past is bedtime. No, but and I want you... Those who are here now have to convey it to him. They hold the Salat al-Tarawi hostage. So before we start Salat al-Tarawi, we have to get at least, at least 500,000. My God, we're going to be sitting here all night for God's sake. Give me a break. I'm so against these things. Management, what can you do? Management got to manage. I'm against these things. When we had the masjid, I said, Ya Allah, give us a masjid where nobody's going to hold the prayer hostage. There's going to be no hijacking inside of our masjid. One masjid I was at, la hawla wa la quwwata billah. Do you know what he said? He said, if you don't come with your checkbooks tomorrow at Tarawi, don't even come. La hawla wa la quwwata billah. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. I said, shoot that guy. What is this guy? Can you, can you believe that? You, you don't come with your checkbooks tomorrow, don't even come to the prayer. It's heartbreaking, man. It's sad. We got to think of, we got to devise other ways. Anyways, that's not the point of discussion. I'm talking about that person who works so hard. He works two shifts. And you know how life is in the Bay Area? Bay Area has the richest poor people in the whole world. They're the richest poor people in the whole world. They're rich, but they're poor. Right? They make probably you know, $80,000 to $100,000 right a month. Nothing is left after that. Half of it goes to this, and half of it goes to the house, and half of it goes to rent, and half of it goes to, you know, $500, just a normal, like, grocery shopping. What the heck is going on here? And that person who's working so hard, he comes and he hears the call, give to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A sidq dil, from the depth of his heart, without even thinking about it. He said, the house of Allah, I give $1,000. Check coming, $1,000 check, $500 check, $200. What is that? This is the sign of his faith. This is Burhan. This is the proof. It's the proof that he believes in the unseen. Do you guys understand how powerful this word is? He believes in something of the unseen. I was listening to the radio. It was so funny. It was a funny KGO. You know, I always used to 
once upon a time, you know, when I had a long commute, KGO, I will be listening. So you know what the talk was about? Charity, charitable organizations. So then there was a lady she calls in, and there was a time, you guys remember the earthquake in Haiti? There was an earthquake in Haiti. So at that time, there's a lady, she calls in, you know what, I can't write a check every time there's some natural disaster in the world. Literally like that. She was like, so was like no, nobody said that you have to write a $10,000 check. And then he, what a beautiful answer the guy gave. You know? I think it was Ron Owens. He's like, he gave a, gave a beautiful answer. He's like, nobody said you have to write a $1,000 check. It's the thought that counts, that you care about people. Give a $1 donation. I mean, I was like, wow, you know? It was not a, it's not a religious channel. But this, the, the point is, it's the thought that counts, that you care about others. Look, I can't give a 1000 but I can give a dollar. My point is, is that, I mean, subhanAllah, people say, like, you know, and, and when you go, to, you, you go to Egypt, or you go to Syria, or you go to Dubai, or you go to Afghanistan, they have awqaf. They have a waqf system. They have an awqaf system. It's a government system that provides the needs of the masajid. Right? In America, the beauty of the masajid here, we don't have an awqaf. The people are the ones who establish the deen and the masajid. That's why there's so much barakah in these masajid. Wallahi, when this masjid was getting built, do you know how this, from which money this masjid was built? Little kids were coming with their bank, little piggy banks. This is my savings. And they would come, and there's like $15 in change with little, little dollar bills and like 20 quarters and pennies and nickels and dimes. Look at the ikhlas. What, why, what, why is that person giving that? A sadaqah to burhan. It's a proof. Dalila imanishas. Hujjati imanishas. Like, iman if he didn't have faith, he would never do that. That's a sign of the faith of the person that they believe. Otherwise, then how would it be? I can't write a check every time some mullah gets up and like starts fundraising. Right? I can't write a check every time. What is this? Every time they do it. Every time they do it. Every time they do it. Subhanallah. If this is not a sign of faith or belief in the unseen, then what is it? Subhanallah. And this is why the Prophet defined it as such. Charity is a proof of your faith. Because you work so hard to earn this, and then you give it to something that you don't, you're, not, you're not even sure if you're going to get anything back. I give a worldly investment. I know that, okay, 10%, 15%, I put money in my stock, I put money in my investment, I do cryptocurrency, I get you know, Bitcoin or whatever other, and I can you know, see, okay, it's going up or going down or whatever, like there's some tangible thing. Well, I don't know if you can say cryptocurrency is even tangible, but at least you can get dollars in, in place of it. Okay, that's a forget, forget, forget crypto. But it's a matter of what? It's a matter that you are giving for something that you can't see. That you don't, it's not tangible. That thawab, can you see thawab? Can you see that when you give that charity, cha-ching, then in your, when bank balance goes up? No, you see minus 1,000 when you give that check. You see minus 2,000 in your bank account when you give that check. But your iman is, that's minus, that's plus 1,000 for me. That's plus 10,000 for me. Because Allah has promised me that He will. 
anything that you spend for Allah, Allah will replace it. This is iman. Right? This beautiful definitions of the Prophet. And patience is a glow. If I say, what is patience? You say, patience is holding yourself firm in a difficult situation. Right? But the Prophet defined it as nurun qawiyun yankashifu bihil kurubat. It is a light, it is an <laughs> intense light through which the calamities are removed. It is an intense light by which the calamities are removed. The patience which is preferred is that patience, patience upon the obedience of Allah, patience upon calamities, patience upon difficulties and hardships of this world. That a person will continue to increase in light as long as they have patience. A beautiful, uh, you can say that this is a beautiful symbolism. Imagine every hardship to be darkness. Every difficulty is a darkness. Every hardship is a darkness. And when you have patience, it is a light. That patience removes the hardship. Because the patience is what? The patience is your attitude in that difficulty. Listen, brothers and sisters, you can't change your circumstances. Can you change your circumstances? That's your taqdeer. You can't change that. If a calamity descends upon you, if, a, if you get in an accident, if you get into a calamity, if, for example, you, know, you can't have children, if you lost your job, you can't change that circumstance, but you can change your attitude in that circumstance, your perspective. That is sabr. That in that situation, you do not become bitter. In that situation, you don't turn your back. In that situation, you don't explode and become angry. In that situation, you don't take it out on all and sundry. Some people say, I'm having a bad day. Boom, boom, kill him, kill him, come home, beat up your wife. What's going on, man? Having a bad day. That's opposite of sabr. I'm having a bad day. So what? So I'm going to road rage. So I'm going to, well, you're adding darkness upon darkness. The patience is a light because what happens is when you're in that situation and then your attitude towards that calamity, your attitude towards that tragedy, your attitude towards that predicament and circumstance is calm. Sabr is what? Withholding yourself from saying that which is inappropriate or doing that which is inappropriate. It's withholding of the self. Habsun nafs. Not letting the tongue loose. F you, F everybody, F God, F. You heard it, people lose it. They lose it. And what happens? Along with that darkness, more darkness. Yaki musibat yaki musibat musibat musibat. You became a musibah in that musibah. And that is what patience holds you back from. This is why you know, they mention that in, in good times you are grateful. And in difficult times you are graceful. In good times you are grateful. And in difficult times you are graceful. 
Patience is gracefulness. That when a difficulty comes upon you, you don't lose it. You don't beat people up. You don't cuss. You don't think that along with that calamity, you become another calamity. And that's why they say this is a nur. Yagrushanis. Kaga u musibat dur namesha. Amu akhlaqtu musibata goya ke as bainbord. It's like your character completely makes that difficulty dissipate and melt away as if there's nothing going on. You see people who have patience, they're going through difficulty. You ask them about what's going on. What, you're going through all of that? You're going through all of that? This is the reality of patience. That they don't take it out on every other human being. It's a nude, it's a light. That when you exercise it, it as, it's as if the, it removes the darkness of those calamities. Subhanallah. وَالْقُرْآنُ حُجَّةٌ لَكَ أَوْ عَلَيْكَ This is getting long. وَالْقُرْآنُ حُجَّةٌ لَكَ أَوْ عَلَيْكَ What is the Qur'an? We will say Qur'an is the book of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ defined it in a different way. The Qur'an is either a proof for you or a proof against you. Powerful, isn't it? This is ajeeb. These are the, what we call the prophetic definitions. If I tell you what is the Qur'an, it's like the book of Allah. أَلِفْ لَامِيمْ ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ Right? Of course, that's not wrong. But this is the prophetic definition. The Quran is a proof for you. It's an argument in your favor or it's an argument against you. Yani on the day of judgment. That the one who implements it, the Quran will argue for you. Oh Allah, he believed in me and he implemented me. So put him in Jannah. The Quran will do that. The Quran will speak on the day of judgment for its reciter and say, Oh Allah, he used to recite me. The Qur'an and Siyam will intercede for those who recited and those who observed them. So we look at it from that perspective. Yani those who implement the Qur'an, the Qur'an will argue in their favor. Those who didn't implement the Qur'an, the Qur'an will speak against them. كُلُّ النَّاسِ يَغْدُوا فَبَائِعُ النَّفْسُهُ فَمُعْتِقُهَا أَوْ مُوبِقُهَا And the Prophet ends this. What is life? Every day that you wake up in this morning, this is called life. Every day you're given a clean slate. The Prophet said, كُلُّ النَّاسِ يَغْدُوا Every person wakes up in the morning. And you're doing a transaction. Your life is a transaction. It's a, it's, a, it's a buying and a selling. What a beautiful metaphor. He is selling himself. Either you sell yourself to this world or you sell yourself to Allah. Either you release and emancipate yourself by you sold yourself. You know, you guys, he, he sold himself to the devil. You guys heard this before? This selling, the Prophet said, the one who sold himself to God. Allah bought the believers' souls and he bought the believers' wealth 
in place of that, he gave them paradise. He said, sell me your soul. Give me your wealth. You sell me your soul, and Allah uses the word of buying and selling. Because it's a, trans, it's a, it's a, it's a metaphor. You're not buying and selling anything. It's a metaphor. Yeah, because, you know, you, a certain person, he either sells himself to the dunya. My transaction is I, I give myself here. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't shop at Lucky's. That type of thing, right? I, I'm sorry, I don't shop with the devil. I don't sell my soul to the devil. I don't sell my religion. I don't sell my faith. I don't sell my iman. I don't sell my namus and my honor. This is a transaction. You give me this and I give you that in return. Subhanallah. So the Prophet said, every day you wake up, it's a transaction. كل إنسان يسعى بنفسه فمنهم من يبيعها لله بطاعته Every person is making an effort and making a transaction with his self, with his soul. He's doing a transaction with Allah. Either he sells himself to Allah by the obedience of God. That's selling yourself to Allah. Don't understand that when you hear the sell yourself, it kind of becomes like weird. Understand what is the meaning of selling, meaning devoting. Islam is what? Submission. Yani, you've submitted yourself. And in, in lieu of that submission, Allah gives you something back. This is termed as a transaction. Okay? It's not real selling or buying here. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 a figure of speech. It's a metaphor. And others, مَنْ يُبِيعُهَا لِلشَّيْطَانِ وَالْهَوَاءِ Another person, he sells himself to the devil. And to temptations. And to sins. And to transgression. And what does he do? And he destroys himself. Everyone wakes up in the morning and you're doing transactions. They say another day, another dollar, right? Another day, another dollar. In other words, where he's selling himself to. This is a reality. This is a very appropriate statement of the Prophet that everybody wakes up and you're thinking about a deal. You're thinking about where I'm going to be buying, where I'm going to be selling. And you sell yourself. Some people sell their soul. Somebody sell, some people sell their iman. And why is, it, why is it that certain people are ready to accept poverty? They're ready to accept difficulty because they're not re ready, they're not willing to give up their morals. There's a woman, she can be a prostitute if she wants. Why does she choose not to? Why does she choose hunger? Because she's not ready to, to sell her morality and destroy her what she believes in. Do you understand? This is the meaning of every, us, every one of you wakes up in the morning and you actually, you're doing a transaction. You're either selling yourself or destroying yourself. Either you sell yourself to Allah, say, I will never take that route. That is unlawful. I'm not going to make a livelihood out of gambling. I'm not going to make a livelihood out of selling my body. I'm not going to make a livelihood because there is something greater that is more valuable to me. My faith is more valuable to me than this material gain. I'd rather live in poverty. It's okay, but I'm not going to sell my faith. I'm not going to sell my morality. These things have value to me. My chastity, my piety, my virtue. I'm not going to sell that to nobody. 
And this is what the Prophet said that every day is a right, every day is a, a transaction. Either you sell yourself, destroy yourself, or you release yourself. May Allah give us a tawfiq to understand what has been said.